Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone, that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, chasing your losses, Shane Ross's gambling problem. Gamblers, and me included, gamblers lie about how much they win or lose all the time, like cigarettes. They, people lie about that. I suppose I was so ashamed of it, and I didn't tell anybody about it. But you always think you'll get your money back. With a casino, bookie shop and poker table all available on your mobile phone, gambling has never been easier or more dangerous. The house always wins. It affected my life and my finances and what I did. And, you know, I got into debt and I had to pay it off. And I'd have lost a substantial sum. I mean, that was bigger, far bigger than the average income. Looking back, you can recognise the problem very easily. I bet a lot at that, that period of time. I went to the races a lot. I played poker a lot. You know, I went to the bookies. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by former minister, stockbroker and gambler Shane Ross to talk about his personal experience of gambling away two inheritances and new laws aimed at cracking down on the bookies. Shane Ross, tell us about your first ever bet. Well, I was about, I was, I was about 12 years old. And I had a bet on, on Kilmore in the Grand National. I gave it to an adult to bet, and it won it 28 to 1. And the second bet I had was the Grand National the, the year after, which was 1963. And uh, that was on a horse called Carrick Beg, which was caught in the last, uh, in the last few strides. But it, it was, I think it was, I can't remember the price. I think it was about 20 to 1. And... Uh, had it for a place as well. So the first two bets were really successful. Were. And from there then, that that end, adrenaline rush as a, as a kid and heading into your early teens, it kind of caught yeah. on with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't immediately go back to the bookies the next week or anything like that, but I, re- I thought this was kind of easy money. And if I studied enough form, I was going to be able to beat, beat the bookies and I, that I was awfully clever as well. And, and, and then I started betting at, at boarding school Kind of secretly because obviously it was a illegal and secondly, um, secondly against the rules, and I used to sneak down to the bookie shop uh, regularly, maybe two or three times a week, very regularly throughout that period of time as well. So you're in rugby in Warwickshire, at yeah, this, and rugby at this in point, yeah, exactly. I kind of, <laughs> I don't advertise that always, yeah, uh, and that's where I was, and uh, and that that was. I can't remember exactly how I did, but I started doing, I, I think I must have lost money, but not an awful lot because I didn't have an awful lot. But I started doing, I remember doing, sending off for, and I was underage, obviously, sending off to these tipsters for tips, writing to them. You know, they, you'd get this 
the magazine, whatever the gambling magazine was at the time, the, the horsey magazine and the advertisements, you know, and they, the ads would tell you all the great successes these tips has had. And I started writing to them and getting their tips. And, and of course, the first one I got one, I, I, the first one I got was salmon spray, I think, in the champion hurdle. And I thought, these guys are telling the truth. They, they can really do the business. Now, I paid them something very little, but paid them something for the tips. And then the next horses disappointed me, but I thought it was just unusual. And then, you know, we started losing quite a lot with all these tipsters as well. You went to, you went on there. So you go on then to, to college in Trinity and again, a whole array of gambling open, opens up for you. That was extraordinary. And it only opened up to people who were open to it, to be, to be honest. You know, it wasn't a, Trinity was not a casino <laughs> at the time. Trinity was, was a university. But for some people, there was, there was a place called the Junior Common Room in Trinity, just inside the front gate. And uh, people assembled there, those who, you know, it was where students sat and drank coffee and did all sorts of things. But there was also card games on all day. Uh, and I used to go there regularly. And, you know, you just come in and join a game. As long as you've got cash, you're welcome. And that was a kind of people played all day. And there was kind of moving people. People, was, as they lost, they bowed out and other people took their places. And it, it was a rather strange atmosphere, but there were a few hardened gamblers there. And my memory is that that was a kind of permanent fixture of life at the time. It was for me anyway. Yeah. So Trinity College Dublin, your introduction to the, the casino of life as, <laughs> as, as such. Yeah. But, but it does then start to become a, a problem for you in your in your early 20s, doesn't it? Yeah. I th oh, yeah. Looking back, you can recognize the problem very easily. Looking back, I, I bet a lot at that, that period of time. I went to the races a lot. I played poker a lot. I, I did whatever, you know, I went to the bookies, yeah, quite often. I killed Martins up in uh, uh, Exchequer Street, I, I think it was. I used to go there a lot, and Joe Burns in Leeson Street. I was I was kind of, yeah, I was doing an awful lot of gambling, and gambling every day, probably. And uh, I didn't kind of realize, you, see, you know, gamblers, I didn't realize really that I was losing a lot of money. I had a little bit of money at the time, as I think I said in that piece, that I had a, a couple of small legacies, a few thousand but they were kind of quite large amounts for a, for a student at the time. And I kind of lived on them and, you know, I didn't realize I was, I thought I was spending it and I never really realized how much was I was going downhill until, of course, I, I pretty well lost a lot. And then, then I did realize it as well, yeah. And you were, you were you say, in, in London as well, you, you also yeah. saw that, the, again, it, it consumed your life. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a, a strange period. I, I can't remember the first casino I went into, but I, but I, I loved it. And, uh, it was really, really glamorous and grown up, you know, and uh, and and I got not quite addicted because I obviously wasn't in London every day. But I, I used to go to London quite a lot, and I'd go there, and then I go to the casinos, and I'd always be the, kind of the last person out of the casino at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then, but I had to at the same time, I I had to get a job, obviously, and I got a job, uh, and I got a job, of course, in in the most unsuitable world possible at the time, which is the stop wrecking. Stop financial wrecking. gambling. Yeah, it yeah, was financial yeah. gambling. Mm. Yeah. And I liked financial gambling and it just fed into this kind of passion I had. And I was, I wasn't, I, I, I wouldn't say I never got onto Skid Row. I was gambling all the time, uh, but I never got, you know, completely and totally out of hand. I'd hate to say that because I stopped. Um, but I, it affected my life and my finances and what I did and, you know, I got into debt and I had to pay it off and all that sort of thing. So, and stockbroking was a, it was kind of a mecca and hell at the same time. It was a mecca in that you, you could, you could punt yourself. Uh, uh, and, uh, and yet you, I, I also got into, you know, I got into debt there as well and I had to pay that off as well. So, 
my life was dominated, I suppose, to a large extent by gambling for for, for several years. And, so. and you say, tell us about the bank manager calling to your home. <laughs> well, I wasn't there, so <laughs> I was lucky. Uh, yeah, I, as they say, I'd written a lot of checks. And uh, they didn't bounce them, but they were pretty concerned about the fact that they were unauthorized overdrafts all over the place. And I kind of knew them and they knew the family. So it was it was difficult. And uh, yeah, the, I was living in a flat at the time. And uh, I came home one day and the my flatmate said to me, uh, there's been a guy called up here and he's looking for you. And he said he was from the Hibernian bankers at the time and that uh, he wouldn't mind kind of interviewing you, talking to you, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that was kind of scary. I'd, I'd never heard of bank managers calling people's homes before, and he'd been very friendly. But I'd been avoiding him. I'd been ducking him. He'd been writing me letters, and I'd been ignoring them. So he did call, and that was that was a bit of a bit of a shock. Yeah, that was that was that was that was difficult. Was it straining relationships though? Yeah. Were your were your family aware of what was going on? Not completely. Or friends? Not complete. Well, my friends, my friends would have been aware. Yeah, I, a lot of them would have been gambling though as well and so they probably you know it's like when you're out every night at the pub you think everybody's out every night but in fact you're the only person who's out every night and i you know people find themselves in this situation i my friends were all probably gamblers but i don't think they were gambling to the same extent uh and uh and there were, there's a kind of merry-go-round in gambling as well when you're playing with the same people that the money does circulate a bit. You get you in one day. You you know it doesn't. You don't lose it all at once. You spend a lot when you win, and then of course then you, when you lose, you you have to find some more. Um, no, my friends were were gambling, but nobody. What I was surprised at was my family. I was I was very mild, mild as a young man, and my family were kind of tolerant of that, and they just accepted that was a bit like that. And I, you know, I never lost my job. I never went completely completely over the top. So they didn't intervene in any in any meaningful way they they would have known what i was doing yeah but but they wouldn't have actually said stop because it wasn't really affecting them i suppose tell us I'm about like, the tree character oh, it was so. terrible it was just sort of like i was in london you know and i was on a kind of gambling spree i think and i was wandering past harrods and, uh, and there were guys with a box there five or six or seven of them playing it was obviously illegal i knew it was illegal and there were guys putting money on and winning and guys putting on money money on winning being paid out and I knew, I actually knew this was a, uh, <laughs> this was a scam. I mean, I turned on the three-card trick, and I thought these guys are mugs. I mean, I'm so ashamed of it still. I think I was 24 at the time. But <laughs> the fellas doing it said, go on, have a go. You know, it's, and, and, and I took money out of my pocket, and I put a note on that. I put a large note down, and uh, they turned it up, and it was the four of spades. And I'd seen it. And I couldn't believe this. And I kind of hopped. And to my shame, I said, I'm going to have another go at this. This is crazy. I did it twice. And the same thing happened. I saw the card. It was, it was, the, one, it was the one we were looking for. And it turned, up, it turned up to something completely else. Although I'd put my finger on it as, after I'd seen it, and as it turned. And then, having lost that money, the guys picked up the box, picked up the cards, all disappeared, and everybody just scattered. And oh. Three card tricks, by the way. I, I saw guys doing exactly this with a box down at the Ploughing Championship oh, two months ago. So it's still, <laughs> it is go. still going on. They're yeah. still out there shopping for schmucks. But yeah. that, it actually dawned on you at that point then you were literally just glued to gambling on, on yeah. random things. Yeah, I was, I, I suppose I was so ashamed of it, really. And I didn't tell anybody about it uh, that I realised there was something kind of, I really better stop. But you always think you'll get your money back if you're gambling, you know? If it, you think, oh, 
tomorrow I'll get it back and I'll start mm. on a good run, et cetera. So, but I did, I started, yeah, very soon after that, I said, right, this is, this has got to stop. And, and, uh, and I did, and I started paying back money and I didn't have any money left anyway. So how much out. did you lose? I mean, in, in modern day terms, what, what, are, what are we talking about? I in don't terms know. Of, um, I really don't know because are, are we talking tens of thousands no. or hundreds of thousands ultimately? No, because I've got two legacies and they've only, you know, they seem big to me at the time, but they would yeah. have been maybe 10,000 between the two of them. Okay. Um, so how much would that be in modern day times? Well, you're still talking quite a lot of money. That's effectively enough to buy two houses at that time. You are talking a lot of money. And I'd have lost not all of that because I've spent some of it. I spent, you know, after I left mm -hmm. Trinity, I spent about six months doing nothing except enjoying myself. Mm -hmm. So I would have lost that. It would have been a substantial sum. I mean, that was bigger, what far bigger than the average income. So Going cold turkey, mm. how, how did you find that? Did you just decide I am stopping? Did you find something else to distract you, or how did you? Get no, to that I, period? Um, I just stopped, and I and I start. It was it became a task to pay the money back. I was I was earning good money though. I started earning good money, and it it did make a difference. It was all somewhat confused because I was drinking too much as well at the time, which I stopped as well soon after that. I was lucky in the stockbroking thing because stockbroking paid quite well at the time, um, and so I could pay it back quite in a matter of two or three years. I paid. Do you still gamble to this day? Yep, but not much. I opened an account about a year and a half ago because I want to bet on the football. I, I find this fascinating. Not to win or lose money, really. Anyway, I, I, I'd be betting in fives and tenders and that sort of runs. I used to bet with Finney McGrath on the, on the football very publicly. And, we, and I, I asked them for an account of, I asked them how, how did I do in the, in the year and a half I had an account with them. And they sent, they told me, they sent me an account. They said, you put in, you bet over the whole year, I think it was about 1,200, and you won 144 quid. And uh, this is tennis and fivers on football and stuff. And I'm still betting in fivers and tennis on football, maybe every Saturday and that sort of thing. Yeah, but it's completely controlled. It's small, it's just a, a bit of a game. It's good fun, but it's just yeah. as important as when I was betting in hundreds when I didn't have it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pride, really, as much as that. Gamblers, and me included, gamblers lie about it how much they win or lose all the time, like cigarettes. They, they must lie about that. And I want to find out exactly, because I, mm -hmm. I thought I was winning a little bit more than, you know, 144 quid. But but I wanted to find out exactly how I was doing. And it's, that's, the, that's the sort of sum it is, but it's kind of very controlled, yeah. yeah. Gambling legislation has yeah. been brought forward now by the government, yeah. the gambling regulation bill. Do you think it goes far enough? I don't know yet because it's it's it, actually the bill hasn't been published. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, it's published published this week. I think, I think it's a good, it's a very good start. I, I'm not sure it goes far enough. I think it probably there there are all sorts of things that could be further, but it's a recognition, a long overdue recognition, by the legislators that there's a serious addiction problem in this country and uh, the size of which nobody's aware. We, we don't know yet, but they'll find out pretty quickly. They hope after setting up a regulator who'll get all the information together. I suspect it doesn't go far enough. I, I was very interested that the former chairman of Paddy Power, Stuart Kenny, who runs a, a, a group called Stop Gambling Harm with uh, Fintan Drury, who was form, form, former chairman, I think, as well. Um, and that's because they don't think that the, the bill goes far enough. They're very aware of the fact that... that uh, Gambling can destroy lives, uh, although they approve of, of betting in moderation, which I think is quite reasonable. And, and they say, no, it doesn't go far enough. And gambling now is so accessible and so contagious, so addictive, because 
you can you, you get onto the internet. You have an account with one of the, one of one of the bookies, and you can you can you can bet on roulette. You can bet on uh, blackjack. You can bet on poker. All on the you can go from one to the other, and on on sport. I'm, I'm, I was talking to Stuart Kennedy about this the other day, and he said, "Yeah, you know, people young people tend to start on sport, which is." cerebral it takes a bit of time when you're doing your bets you take time you think about it you take breaks the sports like golf and football take a little while but they then you know when they're waiting for the match to uh you know they can move into the casino uh and then they, they can play poker at the same time and to addictive to to young people who are addicted or who are vulnerable and young people are the most vulnerable here it is wrong that they should have that sort of access so easy. Uh, so they want to separate those two things. Is it adrenaline? Yeah. Is it just an energy burst that you, you get from both gambling and then winning? I think it's the thrill because you're not thinking, now nah, if I win this pot, I'm going to be able to go and buy myself a new car or a new suit or a new jersey. You're thinking, ah, this is exciting. It's the excitement of the, the kind of chase and the win rather than the the material loss or gain comes afterwards. It's really the, the game. It's the chase. It's the, it's the winning. Yeah, I think it. I think that's what's addictive. It is very, very. I can still kind of feel it when I talk about it. What, what it feels like at the time, but it's it's very, very dangerous. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's, and there's pride involved in all sorts of things when you're playing poker. Any regrets L looking back? Would you say you would tell your younger self, don't put three shillings on Kilmore in the, in the Grand National? <laughs> yeah, I. I mean. The gambling bill has recognized how vulnerable people are at that age or even or, old, or older. The, the bill is aimed at that. There's recognition that the other people are going to suffer if we don't regulate gambling. Yeah. And my thanks to Shane Ross for joining me today. I'm Fionn Shane, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was researched and produced by Mary Carl, which sound by Gavin Hennessy. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. And to hear more of our award-winning journalism, visit independent.ie or wherever you get your podcast. <laughs>